is a spirit of love in this place, don't you think? Yes. And there is the presence of peace in this room. And if we open our hearts, there is space for grace in our hearts as well. I love that song. Just for a minute, I want you to imagine that you bump into a friend that you have not seen for a while. Maybe you're at Hannaford, or maybe you're at the library, or you, maybe you're walking around the back cove, or you're hanging out at Monument Square, or the gym, or wherever you hang out. And you bump into someone you haven't seen for a while, and that person says, hey, I, I hear you're part of that church that's underneath the parking garage. Because that's how they always talk about us, right? The church under the parking garage. Is it, what's it called? Hope Gateway or something? What's that about? What would you say? Come and see. Come and see. That's always good, right? That's what Jesus said when people ask questions. Come and see. So what else would you say? A church that loves and accepts all people. That's good, and you were ready for that answer, weren't you, Cheryl? Okay. Anyone else? I usually talk about the service, but also all the community. Yes, it's not so just Sunday morning. So it's right? like in this idea that we're very active in the community because Good. that's an important, I think, thing about a church. Great. Did you catch that? So being active in the community, not just Sunday morning. My first words would be, it's wonderful. <laughs> it's wonderful. Yeah. It's just descriptive, right? Yeah. And if they're your friends, then that's going to pique their interest in you, right? Yeah. I say it's a church that thinks it's a community center. A church that thinks Or a community center that thinks it's a church. Right. Depending on the moment. It's a place where retired clergy come because it's the church. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Sometimes it's fun to think about this, isn't it? And if nobody has ever asked you that, they will. So it's good to have an answer ready, right? We call that the elevator speech. You know, you get you have just as much time to get from the third floor to the first floor to say whatever it is you have to say and to be ready to talk about um, when the opportunity arises. Well, today we are talking about community. Um, and we are in the second week of a five-week worship series focusing on this theme, Draw the Circle Wide. Um, and it's our stewardship theme for this year. So we're thinking of, about lots of different kinds of circles and the way that um, we can draw the circle of gratitude wide and draw the circle of hope wide and draw the circle of hospitality wide and draw the circle of healing wide. And you see what I mean? Draw the circle of compassion or forgiveness. All of these circles that were, allowed, that were invited to draw wider. Um, and when I asked that question, most of the responses that people had to share had something to do with their sense of community in this place. We're going to be focusing on that theme. What does it mean to be a part of a community and how do we draw the circle of community wider? Um, before we dig a little deeper into that concept of community though, I want to kind of put this in, in context. So this word stewardship, that's the overarching theme that we're working with. And I wonder when you see that word stewardship, what do you think about? Money. Money. Okay, good. I'm glad someone said it right up front. Anyone have like a sinking feeling in your stomach when you hear that word? Yep. It's okay. It's okay. I understand that. And very often when we think of stewardship, we think of, you know, somebody wants something from me. The church wants something or someone else wants something from me. And mostly it's the thing I don't want to give, which is my money, right? 
or time. Time is, time is the new currency, right? So what I want to do, or what we want to do over the next several weeks, is try to redeem this word for you a little bit. Because so often we think of stewardship as a dreaded obligation. And I want to invite you to think instead of stewardship as an opportunity. An opportunity to really live the values that you hold and make commitments that actually reflect the priorities that matter to you. I don't think anyone wants to live this disconnected life where they, they live and their values are over here and the way they actually live are over here. Or their priorities over here, but actually when you look at how they spend their time, their money, their energy, it has nothing to do with their priorities. I mean, nobody really wants to live that kind of life, right? We want to live integrated lives where the way that we live actually reflects our values and our priorities. So I want to redeem this word a little bit for you. First of all, the word steward really just means someone who cares for the household of another, or someone who, who manages the possessions of someone else. So one of the um, analogies that I like to use is, is the concept of house sitting. So if I'm going on a trip, and I ask you to house sit for me, I have some expectations, don't I? <laughs> so what are my expectations if I ask you to house sit for me? Take care of the house. That you won't trash the house. What did you say, Melissa? Yeah, you won't trash the place. Trash the place. <laughs> keep it safe. That you'll keep it safe, up, right? Lock the doors and the windows. Like, water you know, the plants. Water the plants. You're going to care for things. Feed the cat. What? Treat it like your own. Exactly, right? Treat that house the way you I guess not everybody treats their own house very nicely. So treat it like you would the parsonage you live in. <laughs> treat it better than you treat your own. Leave it cleaner than your mom. Did your mom say that ever? Leave it cleaner than your mom, right? So we have expectations. And likewise, if I'm house-sitting for someone else, I know that they have expectations, that I'm not going to burn the house down or have a big party and leave empties everywhere. Or, you know, right? There are expectations that come with that. So that's one way to think of it, house-sitting. Another um, use of this word actually is in environmental circles, right? It, earth stewardship. So what's implied in that phrase, earth stewardship? Don't harm the earth. Don't harm the earth. Why? Take care of the earth. Why? Be responsible. Because it's our home. And does it belong to us? No. Actually, no, right? The earth does not belong to us, even though we often treat it like it does, and we do all kinds of things to destroy it. It actually does not belong to us. As followers of Christ, we would say the earth belongs to God, right? Even secular environmentalists, though, would say the earth does not belong to us. They would say it belongs to the, the universe, right? It belongs to those who came before us and those who come after us, that this is something that we, we have responsibility for, but we do not possess the earth. But we're connected to it. We're connected to it, right? And the Native Americans got this in a much better way than Westerners, ever. The idea of possessing the earth is totally foreign in Native American tradition that we're connected to it, intimately connected to it. We, we, we rely on it, and in some ways, it relies on us. So the sense of deep connection and responsibility. So, I want to suggest that as followers of Christ, stewardship is actually a spiritual practice. 
That is to say, like prayer, like reading the Bible, like coming to worship, like serving in the world, and all the other things that you might do, art or music, it is a way of deepening your relationship with God. It's a spiritual practice. And the reason we use the word practice is because we don't get it right automatically the first time. It takes practice. You could also use the word discipline. It requires a certain amount of discipline. But I want to suggest that just like all those other things, worship, Bible study, prayer, that the more we practice stewardship and the deeper we grow in our stewardship, the more it strengthens our faith. It really is an opportunity to live the values and priorities that we hold and to grow deeper in our faith. Last week, Sarah suggested that stewardship begins with gratitude. And actually, gratitude begins with awareness. Because most of the time, we live in a cloud, and we're not even aware of the blessings on our path, right? We just take for granted every single gift that we receive, even the gift of life. Life is a gift. And we, we just, we live in a cloud and we take it for granted. So gratitude begins with awareness, just opening our hearts and minds to be aware of the blessings that surround us every day, that are gifts from God. And then remembering to do what? Give to give thanks for them. To say thank you to God who is the giver of every good gift. So stewardship begins with gratitude. Gratitude draws us to, to stewardship. And today I want to suggest that community draws us to stewardship as well. So listen to these words now from the second chapter of Acts. Um, now just to put this in context, Acts chapter 2 is all about Pentecost. What was it that happened on the day of Pentecost? <laughs> Pentecost was the day the early Christians received the gift of the Holy Spirit. So remember, Jesus has died, he's resurrected, he's ascended into heaven, he's not with them anymore. And these early Christians are kind of scared, they're kind of frightened, and they don't know what to do. And all of a sudden, the rush of wind and fire, and they're able to speak in languages they don't even know, which allows them to communicate the message of Jesus. And it changes everything. And on the other side of Pentecost, they have to decide how they will live as a result of that experience. And that's where this picks up. Chapter 2, verse 42. The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the community, to their shared meals, and to their prayers. A sense of awe came over everyone. God performed many wonders and signs through the apostles. All the believers were united and shared everything. They would sell pieces of property and possessions and distribute the proceeds to everyone who needed them. Every day they met together in the temple and in their homes. They shared food with gladness and simplicity. They praised God and demonstrated God's goodness to everyone. The Lord added daily to the community those who were being saved. So here's this post-Pentecost community of followers of Christ, and they're living in radically different ways. What did you hear in that passage that would characterize this, this early Christian community? What are some of the things that they did? Met in homes. They, they did what? Met in 
They met in homes. And what did they do when they met in homes? They ate, right, all the time. It says every single day they ate together in each other's homes. Do you think that's by accident? No, it's by intention because it's something, eating meals together is like the glue of community. This is why from the very beginning we have had meals with our life communities because when you eat together, you form relationships that are very different than the relationships you form in other contexts. Have you ever tried to eat with someone with whom you are very angry? <laughs> it's very hard, isn't it? It's either really tense or the anger comes crumbling away because there's something about eating together, this intimate act that just heals and solidifies relationships. Okay? So what else do they do together? They shared possessions. Now, how radical an idea is this? They held everything in common, this passage says. That means they shared everything. And even more than that, they did something even crazier. What was that? They sold their stuff and passed it out to other people. Exactly. They sold possessions and then gave the money to help each other and to help the poor beyond their circle. You know, like, like you do, right? <laughs> This is not the value that we hold, although it is a Christian value, absolutely. <clears throat> to share things in common and to sell possessions to care for those who are poor. Okay, what else did they do? Catch anything else? This, they continue to welcome people. Yeah, they continue. They were drawing the circle wide, right? Literally, it says every day the Lord added to their number. So they're at the, the circle is growing, but also the circle of everything else is growing. The circle of love is growing. The circle of hope is growing. Um, it's a growing circle. So the word in there that caught my attention is that they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. What does the word devote mean? That's not a word we use a lot in everyday language. If you devote... Promise. Promise. Okay. Focus. Focus. Give your attention. Give your attention to... Commit. And is it a little commitment? It's like a full commitment, right? They gave themselves fully to this. And they gave themselves joyfully. If you're devoted to something, you are all in, right? Remember that song, Hopelessly Devoted to You? <laughs> sing it out. Could you sing it out? I'm not going <laughs> to sing it. Remind us. Hopelessly. <laughs> and it's like giving yourself fully, right, to something. And that's what they gave themselves. This says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. That is, they wanted to learn and grow and be formed and shaped in this community. They devoted themselves to the community, that is, to one another, to this fellowship. They were devoted to shared meals. I think that's really interesting. They were devoted to <coughs> shared meals. And they were devoted to their prayers. They were devoted to their spiritual life. They gave themselves fully to it. And it says a sense of awe came over them. Now, we use this word awe. Like, everything's awesome, right? Everything is awesome. That's just awesome. So the word doesn't mean anything anymore. But what does the word awe, in its true sense, really mean? Astonished. Astonished. Your facial expression, when you say awesome, right, has true. a, it's like... Right. Someone at the 9 o'clock gathering used the definition wordless wonder. Oh. I really like that. Awe is wordless wonder. 
Now, if we really use that word as it means, we would reserve the word awe for something pretty amazing. Like amazing. We wouldn't throw it around in every other sentence. We would reserve that word. They were filled with awe because God was doing amazing, amazing things in this community. And as a result, every day, the Lord added to their numbers. They were growing. So I want to teach you a new word. This is a word from... Biblical Greek. The word is koinonia. Say that word. Koinonia. Now I'm going to try to tell you what this means, but there's a little problem. And that is that there is no word in English that accurately conveys the meaning of koinonia. So in order to tell you what this one word means, I'm going to have to use a lot of words. Because we don't have an equivalent word. Koinonia is a kind of fellowship or partnership or association that is centered around sharing life together, a deep sense of sharing a common life together, a mutuality. And we saw that reflected in this description from Acts chapter 2, right? This deep sense of sharing everything of life together. And for the early Christians, it was a, a, a community with Christ at the very center, a Christ-centered community. Um, so I, what if we were to suggest that the job of the church is to practice koinonia, this kind of life together? And what if we were to suggest that the job of every Christ follower is to practice koinonia, to devote ourselves, you could use your own language, to the apostles' teaching, to the community, to the koinonia, to shared meals and to prayer and to widening the circle. Imagine how different the world would be if every Christ follower devoted themselves to this kind of life. Maybe you have experienced a taste of koinonia by being a part of Hope Gateway community. Would you say? Yeah? So I wonder, if just a, a couple of people, if maybe there's a, a little brief snippet, a story, an experience you've had as being a part of this community that's helped you to catch a little glimpse of this koinonia life. Anyone have something that comes to mind? This is like on the spot. Mm -hmm. The passing of the peace. The passing, oh, so every Sunday, the passing of the peace. Mm -hmm. It's a little glimpse of koinonia, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Tripping over each other, spilling <laughs> coffee, and all of it, right? The messiness of that together. What else? Community meals. Community meals. There's no line. There's no, you know, helpers and right. servants and recipients. It's all sort of that blurred line of community. Yeah, I think I think that's great. And I think one expression of community is blurred lines. Like whatever the lines are that divide groups of people, those lines get really blurred or even erased. That's one um, aspect of community. I think. I think our services are like that. Yeah, just being in worship together. Support. So when someone's going through a hard time, yeah. I think the children's sermons particularly <laughs> reflect that. What is happening with the kids, but how every, those boundaries just loosen up and everybody's a part of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, one way or the other, right? Yeah. <laughs> so my hope and my prayer is that we can grow into the sense of koinonia in this place. If you ever learn any word in Greek, let it be this one, because <laughs> this is a great <laughs> word. <laughs> 
We actually have a page on our website that talks about the concept of koinonia. I invite you to check that out. So you might notice that we use the word community a lot around here. That's the word that gets translated. Koinonia gets translated community, and it's all through the New Testament, but especially here in Acts chapter 2. When we named this place, we, we intentionally did not name it Hope Gateway United Methodist Church. <laughs> Although we are a United Methodist Church, and we do get mail sometimes addressed that way. But, and I don't hate the word church at all. In fact, I love the church word church. But I also recognize that word sometimes comes with some baggage. You know, because it can imply, first of all, a building. You know, we can sing, the church is not a building. But we still have this idea that a church is a building, right? We use it all the time. What church do you go to? Church is not something, a place you go on Sunday. Church is something that you are every single day, that we are. Right? It's more of a verb than it is a noun or a place. Um, and then I think the other baggage is that sometimes that word church gets associated with institution rather than movement, rather than living organism that's actually alive and growing. So we use the word community a lot. And one of the things I love about this word community is, it, is that it has two dimensions. So one dimension is this inner dimension, which is the community that we are building in relationship with one another. We do that in worship, in life communities, and serving together, and just anytime we're sharing life together, that's building this inner sense of community. But the other dimension of community is what? <coughs> the community. Every church is planted within a community, the community, the wider community. Now, because this is a city, we talk about the city of Portland, we don't very often talk about the Portland community, because it's big. But small towns, that's a community, right? And every church is planted within a community. I love this blurring of lines between the inner community and the outer community. And Jen's example of the community meals is a great example of that. Last week, someone shared a little testimony about the Cocaine Anonymous group that meets here on Saturday night, and how they didn't use this word, but how there's a sense of koinonia in that group that meets right here in this room, in the very seats that you're sitting in, in this configuration, all set up for worship on Saturday nights. And that is a spiritual community where people are growing deeper in their faith, finding help for the journey of life. Anytime I think we can blur those lines, that is great. And the movement back and forth, I think, is, is really wonderful. So, and one of the things I love about this space, actually, is this sense of permeable space between where we are and where the community is. You know, when we're here, we can look out and see every car and every pedestrian walking by on our sidewalk. And guess what? They're looking in, too. You know, the sense of permeable space. It's not, the lines are not hard, and we're not sitting inside a, a cathedral or a fortress. So, I want to teach you a new phrase. Um, first, I want to introduce you to this guy, Jim Walker, who is pastor of a United Methodist Church in Pittsburgh. Are you ready for the name of this church? It's called Hot Metal Bridge. That's the name of the church. And there's a whole story about why it's called that. But the name of the church is Hot Metal Bridge. And Jim Walker talks about how the church ought to be more like a bridge. So he's written this great book, and the name of the book is Dirty Word. The Vulgar Offensive Language of the Kingdom of God. Does that make you want to read it? <laughs> and there's even a little, like, parental advisory. <laughs> oh! <laughs> so, um, 
Jim Walker talks in this book about how oftentimes the church is like a store, and it ought to be more like a bridge. So just really quickly. He says a store has doors and walls, and most of the time they're locked, but a bridge is open 24-7. A store is in one location, while a bridge connects multiple locations. A store has signs and advertising. A bridge gets used because people need it. You see the difference? A store is nice and fancy because it needs customers to survive. A bridge is dirty because it gets walked on, traveled on, and worn down. And I would add to that, not because um, it needs customers to survive, but because we need it to survive. Right? And he goes on from there um, about how a, a church ought to be more like a bridge. But here's what he says. This is the phrase that he uses. Missional koinonia. Missional, as in the mission of God, koinonia. He says, for the church to move from a store model of ministry to a bridge model of ministry, we need to embrace the spontaneous, uncontrollable movements of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever, have you embraced those? <laughs> Through practicing koinonia. Now, wait a minute, you might say. We practice koinonia in our church all the time. On Sunday morning, we gather, and on Tuesdays, we have a potluck supper, and Friday night is family night at the church, and no, he says, I don't mean that we should hunker down in our church building and practice koinonia between the pews. Now, we have a little advantage here, because we don't have pews. <laughs> but the concept still applies, right? It's not that we should hunker down and practice koinonia here in our building. He says, we need to practice koinonia everywhere but the church building. We need to flee, run screaming out of our safe and comfortable churchy surroundings, and slam as hard as we can into the mosh pits of this dark and lonely world. How's that for a phrase? Slam as hard as we can into the mosh pits of this dark and lonely world. We not only have to practice koinonia actively and help others experience the kingdom of God through koinonia, we also have to get out of our pews, out of our buildings, onto the streets, into the coffee shops, and into every nook and cranny of this world. This is practicing missional koinonia. This is not handing someone a tract. This is listening to someone. This is not walking around wearing a clever t-shirt. This is loving and caring for people, not in the church, but out there in the real world. This kind of sounds like drawing this the circle of community wide, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but every once in a while, I stop and think about all the things that are happening in this community, not just in this building, but here, there, and everywhere. And I get overwhelmed. And I don't mean overwhelmed like my head is spinning and I just can't keep up with it all, although there are moments like that. <laughs> I mean overwhelmed with gratitude. Overwhelmed with joy. I would use that word awe in the truest sense because God is doing something amazing and wonderful and we get to be a part of it. You know what? We get to steward it. That's what we get to do. Because none of this belongs to us. None of this belongs to us. 
we have the incredible privilege and blessing of stewarding it, of managing it, of caring for it. But all of it, all of it, Hope Acts, Friends and Families of Burundi, Justice for Our Neighbors, Community Meals, Worship, Children's Ministry, all of it belongs to God. We get to steward it. Several times during this past week, when we were in the car, when the girls were playing in the other room, and even this morning in the kitchen after breakfast, Rachel and Catherine started singing, Draw the circle, draw the circle wide. There's nothing that makes a parent's heart any more filled with joy than hearing your kids sing that song or any song like that. Because they get it. They don't get it up here. They get it right here. They experience it. They internalize it. They know it, and they don't even know that they know it. And that's the best part. You see? There's nothing any parent would want for their kids any more than that. And is there anything that any of us would want for the world any more than that? You see what I'm saying? It's koinonia. It's a deep sense of community. And we get to steward it. So... Soon you will be receiving your stewardship. <laughs> and in it, it will have some materials to help you think about stewardship. And one of the things in there is a stewardship commitment card. The stewardship commitment card will invite you to commit in the year ahead your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness. Those five things. Prayers, presence, gifts, service, witness. Those are the building blocks of stewardship. Each of us has those things to offer, right? Some of us have more of one and less of another. We all are in different situations. But we have those gifts to give. That is how we steward this incredible blessing that we get to hold on to. Right now, I want to invite you to be in prayer between now and Sunday, November 11th. That's our stewardship commitment Sunday. On that Sunday, we're going to have a great celebration. We have a guest preacher coming that Sunday, whose name is Vicki Woods. Some of you know Vicki. She's a retired United Methodist minister. She's about this tall and about that large at the same time. And she is a great speaker. And I hope that you will be here that Sunday. Um, and it's going to be a, a wonderful celebration, not only because we have Vicki coming, but because it's the Sunday we get to live the priorities and values that we hold in a very tangible way. So I want to invite you to be in prayer. Gratitude draws us to stewardship, and community draws us to stewardship. And my prayer is that we might grow in our practice of koinonia. We might claim the fullness of that word and live it, and continue to draw the circle of koinonia wide and wider still. Amen? So let's, um, let's actually stay seated because we can see the words better and we're going to sing.